Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. (laughs) Well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And today we're talking about identity and um, you might remember we did like a three-part series before about how dad left being a Jehovah's Witness and today we're going to just kind of talk about um, less about leaving in the process of being one and more about the process of being you. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. How how to, uh, I suppose, find an identity after leaving. For me, it was Jehovah's Witnesses, but I think, you know, it's it, this sort of thing is quite common. For anybody that's left a, what I would describe as a high control group or something that's very all encompassing like that, um, trying to find yourself. Who are you? You know, what what's your identity now? So I guess like what I the reason I kind of instigated doing this one and asking you to talk about this was because you know I know that you have gone through a period of like change and difference and like who you were in the past is different who you are now. Um, obviously that like, I've been a child and grown, <laughs> so you know it's not like I've got you know a clear view, um, but you know like just from your own self uh, statements you've said that you are different now, um, and I guess just talking a bit about that process. Leaving it means that you you have this this schism, if you like, in your your identity. It, it mm. takes a hit. Um, so yeah, obviously I'm going to talk about it from very much from my perspective. But I also want to bring in some of the the research that's been done about this experience or these experiences. So I'm going to draw on a lot of this stuff today. I thought I'd share that with you and and with the listeners. Um, there's some papers that are some of which are available to anybody. So I'm going to give you the references to those and tell you what those are about and the the actual access to them will be on the description notes so i think it's a really interesting subject and a really important one for x anythings really to be able to understand how now to construct that identity so when we're talking about this i guess the first thing to say is like what is identity because um like that's kind of like a broad term and people Mm. throw it around so what does that mean yeah and it's actually quite a difficult question to answer in some respects because there's different ways of describing identity um there's there's quite a lot of work being done on this idea of identity and um there's there's kind of the way that you describe yourself there's a way that you feel about yourself there's um there's a, a sense of self there's also references to the authentic self you know who i really am um a lot of the modern ways of thinking about self from a psychology psychological point of view is that the self is a is a construction essentially that we continually work on so if you know if you ask who you are um you'll give an explanation of who you are I and mean, you maybe have a sense of of who you are and that 
depending on the time you're asked and depending on stage of your life, you know, you might talk about certain characteristics, certain qualities, um, identification with certain groups or certain types of uh, other categories. And these things all go towards making up yourself. Actually, it's quite an interesting um, theory around this. It's called self-concept theory. The idea of self and, and self-identity as being based around two precepts or two givens if you like and the first one is that a person's self-concept is a hierarchy of social identities and values that are consistent so the way I, I think about this and talk about it on my courses is that if you think about an umbrella term like for me it might be a, a man maybe or a or a dad or a husband but perhaps man for me because of my particular gender identity I see myself as a male and I, I say that's the highest level that's kind of who I am and underneath that then you can see some smaller umbrellas um, that might sit underneath that like father I see myself as a father I also see myself as a husband um, and then underneath that you've got more um, identities that are aligned to that so of course some of these overlap and intersect um, but the idea is that all these, this hierarchy, some, some really salient bits of me, like being a, a man and a husband and a father, and then below that, right underneath, you can think of it as a kind of set of hierarchies going right down to things like, you know, I'm a trainer, I'm a coach. So I, I see myself as, as these things as well. But at some point, you know, I might stop doing that and do something else. And then I'm something else again, you know. Yeah, I think that's quite an interesting way to think about self. So we're actually multiple selves. We're multiple identities. We've got all these different bits of us that we've pieced together to make up who we are. So, yeah, this, this idea of, of identity as being this kind of uni um unitary thing that i am this person well okay but it's made up of lots and mm. lots of different ones and it's quite a fluid thing so you know sometimes you're you feel this and sometimes you feel that but they all come together and one of the things for i suppose happiness and well-being is that these different identities have to um be consistent with each other mm. and that's if they're not then you get attention you get a you get a difficulty if you like so you can imagine um i mean people do behave like this sometimes but it has its it has its um consequences so if i'm a i'm a loving father at home but then when i go to work you know i'm, I'm a monster mm. um you know this is the kind of how do mafia bosses do what they do and how did the nazis go home to their families and uh, and mm. then during the day do what they did um and so, you know, it, it is possible to live life with these unaligned values and unaligned identities, but it does damage to us psychologically. Mm. So to be happy and to be um, have good well-being, high levels of well-being, then these things need to be aligned. So that's quite an interesting way of thinking about it. That's interesting just because I feel like with me, I do feel like depending on who I'm with, I am different, but not in like a calculated way, just a self-protective way. Because I think yeah, revealing your quote-unquote true self is quite a, um, what's the word? Like, you know, it's scary. Like, you know, it's quite dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because it's like you don't know if they'll take you properly or if they'll like yeah. you. Um, you know, I guess that's why, you know, say for instance, people don't people don't like this phrase or like. 
a lot of people don't like this phrase, they don't like how um, the implications of it, but it's kind of like if you're a trans person that passes, quote unquote, if you pass, then it's like that's seen as like a privilege because you don't know if people are going to be, if people are bad, basically. Um, and I guess that's like an extreme version of that. Do you know what I mean? Just like to present that as like you don't know how people are going to react. So you, I feel like it's natural to hold back a lot of yourself until you get to know people unless you're really uh, confident i think that's right and obviously um personally not experienced that but it would be interesting to talk to someone who has experienced that and and i i i, I would assume i would um, predict that that's quite difficult that's quite a hard thing to do is to not be yourself it's one of the things that I suppose is one of the main motivators for people to to make that transition because they mm. just don't feel that they are able to be themselves, you know. So mm-hmm. so they've got these identities that that don't actually align. So for them, they're, they're, that really fundamental, that really salient identity of being a woman or being a man, um, at that very very top level, is is actually um, they're not able to then align their other identities with the one that they really feel they have mm. to align them with the one that other people think they are mm. um, and I again not having experienced this but um, I can imagine if you happen to be gay growing up in Jehovah's Witnesses or, or other fundamentalist groups where there's absolutely no no question that that's not allowed mm. then you know you have to pretend to be a heterosexual person maybe having a girlfriend or having a boyfriend, um, you know, just behaving in a certain way because that's what's expected. So your your most salient elements of your identity, you're having to suppress mm. and you're happy, having to, to have other elements of, of you mm. that really don't align with that. And so that's yeah. that can be really stressful. I would think that's a very, very stressful situation to be in. Mm. Um, I think maybe that's why school is so rough <laughs> um, yeah. just generally because I think at school you spend a lot of time I don't know I guess sort of working out who you are in I'm doing the little like bunny ears here <laughs> like working out who you are um and working out who everyone around you is um but also desperately trying to fit in um so yeah just kind of like a microcosm of that experience is is secondary school high school it's um well i think that reflects the work that you're having to do so this again is reason the reason why i don't like this idea of um you know you're kind of born with an identity you're born with the true self mm. because actually i think work you know you work to create your own identity you construct it um so it's you're actively engaged in mm. this process of making yourself that's not to say that you don't have other things that you have no control over. So, you know, you might have tendencies and traits that you're born with. Um, you've got experiences that also mm. affect who you are. But there is also this this work that you're doing to interpret that, mm. to make sense of that. And through those experiences and through what you think you know about yourself, you basically describe it. You create a... Um, a, a sense of self and you, we do that actively that's a that's actually a, a an active thing that we do as individuals um so that's that's one part of concept theory is this that we have this the first precept is that 
our self-concept is this hierarchy of social identities and values um, that are consistent and when they're not consistent they can they can cause us problems and that's um yeah so that's what i meant with like the teen angst because <laughs> mm. you don't you're constantly in a state of like oh and also i think you're at a point when people which is interesting when we think about cults as well but you're at a point when you're not old enough to make all of your own choices so people make choices for you and that's really frustrating when you're a kid i don't know if you can if we can all cast our minds back um well again that's difficult in a way that's that's kind of difficult when you're in a group yeah that's the true. research that i'm working on is all around this theme of identity and how you do this work of constructing your identity and maintaining it and remaking it when you leave um and one of the the most important um psychologists in relation to things like um, psychoanalysis is somebody called ericsson and ericsson had this theory of what he called moratorium during sort of teenage adolescent years and the idea is that during moratorium you kind of given a bit of freedom to mm. explore your identity so that's why young people will perhaps experiment with you know lots of different hairstyles dress types of dress um they might associate with different groups and and in a way this is part of this moratorium so moratorium it's like society saying well just give them a bit of space to explore their identities who are they let them work that out and that's a period where they go through um but my argument is with cults with high control groups you're not given that space to explore your identity because it's already decided for you what the identity is going to be. So you can't explore with your sexuality, you can't explore with dress and grooming, you can't explore with career. You're essentially, it's predetermined how you're going to be. Um, so yeah, so you're right, during that, that, that youthful stage at school and so on, you're you you you're messing about with these, you're, you're playing with these identities. Sometimes it can be quite difficult it can be quite painful because growing up can be painful, but you're given that time. If you're not, you don't have the opportunity to do that. And then later in life, if you do leave, um, in a way, there's there's that still that job still needs doing. You know, mm -hmm. so that's that's why I think um, you do have a bit of an identity crisis because you're you're trying to do that moratorium work in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s however old you are when you come out um, and that should have been done when you were 16 you know mm. um, or younger so that's one theory that's that's my i suppose that's a hypothesis that i've got I've, i can't prove that it's not a scientific um sort of provable thing in a way but it's a it's a way of explaining perhaps some of the experiences that i've had and others have had when they leave as an adult they're going through this um this this process um that they should have done when they were when they were young i think in good news though is it's not like um there's like a time limit where it gets done and then it's sorted like i do think there's like a heightened experience of it like in my experience being at school that you're doing it a lot and like there's a lot going on um but then i don't think it ever like completely stops it just slows down a little bit in terms of like the you know disc going through who you are and changing things up because I definitely like if I look at pictures over time like I'm 24 now um I definitely every three years still look different like I still change my hair and I still um you know have different 
uh, clothes styles and stuff like I'm really into getting a straw hat and some yellow pants at the moment um, <laughs> <laughs> you know oh, I can't wait to see that it's gonna be great it is I um, want to get a straw hat and yellow trousers I'm down I'm for not sure it. about the yellow trousers I'm really excited to do this but like would <laughs> me have a few years ago wanted that no probably not but also maybe I wouldn't have wanted it but less because I didn't like that style and more because I did like that style and I was like embarrassed to, to dress how I wanted yeah so that um I've still got to come up with the I've still got to tell you about precept two we keep going off on this but um but yeah don't forget the, the idea of moratorium is is society uh, a moratorium means it's a kind of period of of grace if you like so what I'm saying about moratorium what Ericsson was saying is that society gives you that space mm. so it's it, you're absolutely right that as even as an adult, you are constantly uh, remaking yourself um, in terms of, of your identity and what, what you are willing to do, and also maybe your values and your beliefs to some degree. But um, there's a lot more leeway, there's a lot more acceptance of young people trying out all these different things when they're younger. It's almost like as a society, we, we acknowledge that people have to go through, young people have to go through this process but then as they get older, we, as a society, rightly or wrongly, I'm not saying this is right, but we, we tend as a society to be less tolerant of mm. people going through that. So, you know, if tomorrow I decided to get a couple of nose rings and uh, some spaces in my ears, you know, and have a tattoo and maybe dye my hair, bleach my hair or something, um, you know, I think a lot of people would kind of be offended by that and... Actually, all I'm doing is what perhaps, uh, you know, 16, 17, 20 year old, mm. whatever might decide to do to experiment. But as a 54 year old man um, doing that, I'm going to get scoffed a bit, you know, what's up with you, you know. And so that's because society just we have a lower tolerance for exploring these different identities, I think, as we get older. Mm. And that's, again, one of the real challenges, I think, for perhaps. Uh, transgender people or people coming out later in life you know it's there was a big fuss around philip schofield coming out as being gay you know a few mm. months ago um a presenter on tv and you know we've no i've grown up with philip schofield um presenting children's tv and stuff and i think a lot of people found that really either difficult to accept or they made fun of him you know because it's philip schofield you know that can't be right i, I he's this person i've decided on his identity and he's mm. but how dare he change his identity at the age of 50 odd um so i think as a society we're less tolerant of that so that's the yeah, only thing i would is, say it is interesting because yeah there'll be um uh, there's been a few instances of people in their sort of 50s coming out um like for instance come out as trans or as um or as gay or whatever and um people being i remember that this was thrown out a few times people were like well, if they've made it to 50 and it's not been a problem, why does it have to be a problem now? Like, basically yeah. being like, why can't they just keep pretending? Like, why yeah. do they have to make a fuss now? They've obviously managed. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, God. But it's that it's that moratorium, as I say. You know, as a society, we are just less tolerant. We think you, you've got that now. We accept who you are now. We don't really want to see you change too much. Precept two is that people are intrinsically motivated to enhance and defend their self-esteem. 
And that's based on a few things I'll come back to. But let's just take that to start with. So people are intrinsically, which means internally, motivated to enhance and defend their self-esteem. So a feeling that they are important, that they are valued, that they are um, some somebody that's that's you know got worth in the world, if you like. And that could be in lots of different areas. I'm going to talk about some of those in a minute. Um, and again, any time when that self-esteem is, it looks like it's going to be damaged, what's going to happen is that person is going to work to try and enhance that feeling of self-esteem. Mm. So that explains some behavior at times. You know, So if people behave in a way that you think, oh, what is the matter with them? You know, Why do they keep telling me how great they are? Why do they keep... You know, why do they keep responding like that? It could be that they feel a need to defend or enhance their self-esteem. And that's an absolutely perfectly natural thing to do. Like that person that keeps telling you about their BMW. Yeah. Look at the new no car that cares. I've got. <laughs> it's natural to want to, to, to tell people about your achievements and who you are. Now, obviously, some people feel embarrassed about that but they perhaps still want to be respected and still want to be cared about and loved and all of those things too and the the things that that's based upon according to uh, self-concept theory is a sense of competence power achievement and ability to cope with their environment so just thinking about that so if I feel incompetent, mm. that damages my sense of self-esteem. If I feel like I, I lack power, if I feel weak, or if I feel like I'm, I'm at a power differential where I'm, I've got the wrong end of it, then again, that damages my self-esteem. Um, and um, autonomy is the real thing there. So power to make my own choices about life and what I want to do. Um, a sense of achievement, the fact that I can actually do something, that I can achieve something. If I achieve it, that enhances my self-esteem. If I think that I can't achieve it or I keep making mistakes or I keep failing to achieve it, that damages my self-esteem. An ability to cope with the environment. So my environment, where I am now, how I'm living, um, my ability to cope with that. If I feel like I'm not coping... That damages my sense of self-esteem. And if you think about times when you've ever felt, you know, really low or depressed or it's, it is all around that, isn't it? It's all around feeling incompetent or feeling powerless or feeling like you can't d achieve anything or that you're just not able to cope. Mm. And so that's got a big part to play in your journey, I think, if you leave a high control group because they've they've done a lot. They've done a good job at linking your feeling of competence, power, achievement and ability to cope with your your identity as a member of that group. Mm. As soon as you leave that, you know, your everything that that you got praised for, everything that you felt good about, everything that you felt you could achieve has been taken away and you're now in a world that you don't really you're not sure about how do I do this and how do I do that and can I do this and can I do that mm. um, and I'm not sure if I can cope so that's another reason why your identity takes a big big 
um, slap in the face, really. It's those two things. It's this self-concept that's already been... So I was a Jehovah's Witness. That was part of my identity. That's gone. I was a ministerial servant. Part of my identity. That's gone. I was a Christian. Gone. Um, all of these all of these bits of my identity gone and this feeling of needing to my self-esteem took a great knock as well because I've now all the things that made me feel good about myself gone so that's why it's so I think so difficult during that period yeah I suppose like I guess that's why when you go back to like the first concept that you talked about and you have to go in the discovery phase because all of it gets removed and then you go through that process absolutely so that's 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 why i think there might be some room or some need to go through this moratorium process of exploring your identity but it it comes at a cost or a potential cost because as an adult you've you've got other things that mean that you're not just a teenager anymore. You know, you can't just decide, well, do you know what? I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to tour the world <laughs> to find myself. <laughs> well, I suppose theoretically you can, but it's much more difficult for a, you know, 40-year-old to do that than it is for a, an 18-year-old to do that because mm-hmm. you've got a lot more responsibilities. So I think that's that's part of the problem. You've got this tension now. You want to experience a moratorium. You feel like you need to explore yourself find yourself decide who you are um, set up all these self-concepts and align them all to how you want to be but you you don't quite know how to do it and you've also got some restrictions in in life because you're at the wrong end of your life if you like or the wrong part of your life to be able to do that i think we probably just need as a society to be a bit more forgiving of people and like not even forgiving just less weird about like growth and change and that people will grow and change and um i guess just like less judgmental because you know for lots and lots of reasons people might want to change what they are about and what they look like and what they do and we should be kind of willing for that and and happy about that um but i don't i don't know how we do that because that's a grand societal issue well, yeah, and um, I would say that's kind of an idealised um, approach. I, I mean, what would you have said then um, when I left around 30? You were mm. you were a toddler. Mm. Um, do you know what? I feel like I really need to find myself. So I'm going to I'm going to go and live in Europe for a couple of years and um, I'm going to paint. You know, that's what I'm going to do because I want to find myself. You know, I think, you know, <laughs> would you have been OK with that? No, but that's different. <laughs> like we've talked about getting piercings and stuff like that's different i think you're going for an extreme for the sake of making a point there well yes i mean obviously i'm not doing it to make a point Mm. that's not true i'm saying that um of course there are some things that yes people can do they might have a few raised eyebrows but fine but but it's just not as simple to go through that proper moratorium when mm. you're in your 30s 40s 50s as it is to go through it when you're 18 it just isn't because you just don't have the same amount of responsibilities and restrictions as you do when you get older that's just a fact mm. uh, but yes you're right society could be more 
understanding about people's need to explore and find themselves during during that period but yes that's that's right um just to support the things that i'm talking about there i there's a there's a paper that's really interesting for any ex jehovah's witness or or any ex um group member high control group member to read and it is actually available um to anybody so it's not behind a paywall mm. i'll put the full uh reference on the notes for the podcast but it's called losing my religion that's the worst bit of the um of the paper because obviously it's a bit of a cliche uh managing identity in a post jehovah's witness world so it's called losing my religion managing identity in a post jehovah's witness world and it's written by which researched by hookway and habibis um and they describe it's a qualitative work so it's a, it's a it's really about a set of interviews with the participants here were young Jehovah's Witnesses who had left quite recently. So they were all in their teens or 20s, I think, early 20s. So that's the particular participant group that they mm. they talked to. And a couple of the quotes, I think, are quite interesting here. So one person who was named Clark in the research, these are all pseudonyms, obviously, said, after I left, I was constantly struggling to come to terms with who I was and who I was not. Another direct quote from the interview, I lost a lot of confidence in myself. I didn't really know who I was anymore. That was from somebody they named as Penny. Um, I was really forced to find myself and who I was, somebody called Lauren. And obviously that, that, goes through the whole of the paper this this sense of you know who am i i don't know who i am um how do i how do i find myself and and so what he found sorry what they found is that um there was some some difficulty of in fact some of them wanted to go back and one or two did go back um because they kind of needed that social identity that it that it gave them mm. um so i think it's quite it's quite interesting there's a couple of other quotes there that are, i think were quite useful um they described disaffiliation in other words leaving and mm. be separating yourself was staged as a dynamic struggle for self so they painted this picture of leaving as a dynamic struggle for mm. self so a real sense here of trying to find myself it's hard work i'm struggling to mm. do that mm. um and another way they describe as a renegotiation of identity so negotiation is normally something you do with other people and i think there is a sense of that here so it's a renegotiating with yourself about who you are but also with other people you know so mm. i'm now like this and there's a a period of renegotiation so that perhaps fits in with our moratorium idea as well that you're trying to you know trying to find who you are but also communicate that to other people i think what makes me sad with this is that it's like it goes from being i would say kind of like a passive brain process because you don't really think about it when you're at school and standard like you know just living your life without being controlled like it just sort of happens quite naturally i feel like yeah, you might be actively thinking about it sometimes in the sense that, like you're creating a, a look or like, you know, you're listening to music that it turns out you probably didn't even like, but you just wanted to like have the vibe of angry music, you know? Oh, tell me what some of that... I remember one that you used to have. What was it, that one? 
You sound I'd really angry, shouty. Probably pierce the veil or something. Pierce the veil. That's but I didn't like really it. like it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but it was my vibe at the time. Yeah. But like, um, you know, that's all kind of just happening. And I don't feel like it feels like a battleground when it's just happening. But and I don't know, maybe um, it genuinely is a battleground. I don't know. But maybe we need like language that makes it less... I don't know how do you how does how do we get people to leave but just to like not feel like they're battling for themselves because that feels like it puts a lot more pressure in like aggro onto something that's basically just like dressing like an idiot and listening to shit music <laughs> do you know what I mean like I mean those are our, those are um visual out, yeah. uh, external um symbols yeah. of of identity formation aren't they but I yeah. think I think what I don't know about other people, um, but for me, I wasn't really that interested in that. Although I probably did f- take much more of an interest in things like clothes and mm-hmm. um, hairstyles and stuff, you know. So when I left, I, I did, I did change my hairstyle, so I looked a bit more modern. So mm-hmm. rather than the, you know, the traditional. <laughs> center parting or side parting jehovah's witness look um uh, a lot of ex-witnesses have beards which um i do too and you know that is part of it perhaps you know um experimenting with external looks and so on um but i think it's it, the more profound stuff is is just how you feel about everything so you know if you imagine um every moral issue every so what 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 job do I want to do right I have to think about um, how that's going to impact upon my service to Jehovah so can Mm -hmm. I take this job well not really because it means I have to work late on a Thursday and that's when the meeting is so I can't do that Um, what about this person I'm really attracted to can I can I ask her out for a coffee well no because she's not a Jehovah's Witness or she might be a Jehovah's Witness but she's not really very spiritual and she's perhaps had a public reproof in the past so no I can't really do that what do I think about um issues like you know who should I vote for well we we can't vote because um we're no part of this world so voting's out what do I think about the Labour government what do I think about the Tory government what do I think about the Liberal Democrats what do I think about Donald Trump no you don't have to think about any of that Stephen because that's already decided for you United Nations that's that's um, the disgusting thing that Revelation talks about. So we don't support that. What about um, eating meat? We talked about last week about veganism. Well, we don't need to be a vegan or a vegetarian because God said we can eat meat as long as we bleed it. Um, should I have this heart surgery? Well, like, yeah. So yeah, I get that, yeah. Obviously, I get <laughs> that there's a lot of things, but I'm just saying instead of like sitting there in like a cave of doom where you're like, you know, having this inner world battle like as though you were like in queen's gambit and you're watching like the chess pieces move on the ceiling i just mean like is there not a way to make it like less high stress and like just as you come into contact with the i don't know like i'm just i'm just asking a question of like obviously i mean does everybody go through that process i mean like that's definitely i think what you're like as you will ruminate and sit and think but you know do you think did you think it feels like a battleground for everybody or well i mean i i I don't 
I don't know. Obviously, is the, mm. is the simple answer. I don't know about everybody else. I, I can only tell you the... Um, obviously, I've interviewed people for my research. I don't want to mm. talk too much about that right now because I'm working at the moment with Birkbeck University to um, expand that research and hopefully get it published at some point. Um, so, uh, obviously, the findings... I've got some partial findings, but I try mm. to want to sort of keep them generally until I get the full findings. Um, but I can tell you from that experience and mm. from talking to other ex-witnesses that what I'm describing is very, very common. Yeah. And you only need to go on YouTube and listen to a lot of the XJWs and, and others, um, other group members, um, about their experiences. And that is very common. Now, is that the same for everybody? Well, no, of course not, because we have individual differences. But that doesn't mean that... Um, you know that's that's a, an easy fix you know just don't oh don't think like that then you, you can't do that and it's not necessarily a battleground it's it's as painful but it's also very joyous or it can be very joyous you know you now can do things mm -hmm. that you couldn't do before so yeah there's lots of great things about it you know i i remember going to pubs and nightclubs and um dancing and you know staying up all night and it was just great. I absolutely loved that time, and I I really value that. Um, so yeah, it's not all bad. Mm. So I'm not. I don't want to to paint the picture that it's 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 all doom and gloom. You're sat in a room with your head in your hands, and it's all happening around. No, you're 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 enacting your identity. You are trying things. You're trying to make sense of who you are. And I think I think a big a big factor in whether you leave successfully and whether you are in a decent space a decent place mentally is how well you do that in relation to your needs mm. so if you're a person that doesn't need to do all that you're just more than happy to essentially carry on as you were just don't call yourself a jw whatever that's fine but for a lot of people it does require a lot of work and i think that's absolutely fine and that work needs to be done um and there's lot, lots of really exciting stuff about that, but there's also lots of difficult um, soul-searching stuff as well. It's good to just clarify that, though, because I think I don't want anyone to, like, potentially listen to this and think, wow, that sounds awful. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, if anybody said to me, you know, would you would you go through that again in a, in a second, in an instant? In fact, I would say I wished I'd done it earlier. Although, obviously, if I had, I wouldn't have, you know you wouldn't have been here um but you know in terms of just my own kind of what would have been the right thing to do i wished i'd done it earlier um mm. but still i still did it in my 20 late 20s 30s um which isn't as bad as as some if you like um but but yeah i it, absolutely fantastic time really exciting but also difficult and that you can have those two things happening at the same time i would suggest mm-hmm um, one of the the other things that, that I think is quite interesting to talk about when we think about identity is is social identity. So one of the big um, the big heavy hitters when it comes to identity theory is is Henry Tajfel. He came up with social identity theory, and he actually looked more at the way that we we don't just form our identity around our own sense of who we are but we also do it based on the groups that we identify with mm. um, as a society we do categorize 
and in many respects these are meaningless categories arbitrary in many respects but we still do it and that's that's part of the challenge i think that we have at the moment we talk about all sorts of things like race and gender and so on but we we do categorize and then so what what happens then is we we identify what social markers there are in that category mm. and then we identify with it so we become personally identified as part of that group and at that point we then have to compare ourselves with another group so as jehovah's witnesses that that is very strong you have a very strong set of um beliefs about the in group which is jehovah's witnesses and the out group which is everybody else Mm. so everybody else is in the out group and it's a very very strong sense of of in group identity which is being a jehovah's witness Again, when you leave, you're now in that kind of scary situation where you've you've now lost touch with your in-group. And so you then, I guess, need to find a new in-group. You need to find another group. Part of that is to be able to identify with that group. And then again, we're back to understanding ourselves and knowing who we want to be part of in terms of that group. People do like finding their community, though. That's definitely something yeah. you see in a lot, like in the sense of like, I didn't really find a need to do this, but I think that's maybe because I've been lucky that my um, colitis hasn't impacted me every single day of my life. Like sometimes it's bad, but generally I'm not constantly dealing with it. But I know a lot of people in the like colitis and Crohn's community, like literally they have formed a community of people that like have pages they follow and they follow each other or like people that have ostomy bags and stuff like that's a big community of people that like do like body positivity showing off their bags and like you know there's a whole bunch of stuff there um so even just to that degree people like to find other people like them i guess because you feel understood without having to explain it yeah that's right so you've identified um certain a certain group that has some similarities and so you identify with that and i think that that's that brings us to quite an interesting um point around ex communities so um as a an ex jehovah's witness i i i guess to some degree i see myself as being part of a community um the xjw community it's a hashtag it's something that I mean, a big proportion of my Twitter followers and the ones I follow are XJWs. They have that in their their Twitter description. Um, and I feel a certain solidarity towards that group. There's an interesting quote that I, I think is quite important. It's There's a book that I haven't read yet. I really want to read this book. But he's quoted by Huckway and Habibis in their paper. And it's from a guy called Ebor. And again, I'll put the um, I'll put the the reference on the, the description. But he observes that becoming an ex is distinctive from conversion or role socialization, in that identity as an ex rests not on one's current role, but on who one was in the past. Mm. In other words, being an ex is not about something you are but it's about something you were. Mm. And that's quite an interesting way to form an identity. So a lot of your identities will be, this is who I am. You know, I'm a, I'm an English person. I, I'm a dad. I'm a father. I'm a... 
but I'm an ex-Jehovah's Witness. So that now is defining me by something that I am not. Mm. And that's like the first line in my poem that I've got on YouTube, which is, you know, to be an ex is to be something that you're not. And I think that can create some difficulty if we're not careful. So I'm not saying we shouldn't be members of an ex-community because I think that mm. gives us a lot of support and can be really, really useful. You know, it's great to have other people that have experienced the same sort of thing. But I think there is a danger that if that becomes our most salient identity, then essentially we're being defined by something we've turned away from, something we've rejected, mm. but is still defining us. And that's what has worried me, I suppose, of, of, of seeing myself too much as that. So I, I try to I try to walk a, a line, if you like, that says, right, I, I am an ex-JW, and I'm very proud of what, that community has done and i'm part of that um but it's not my most salient mm. uh part of my identity and that's that's taken me a long time to kind of work work that out and i think the other the other thing around being an ex xjw ex evangelical mm. whatever is that there is an assumption that you're kind of going to be part of this community that is it's kind of all pulling in the same direction. And what you find quite quickly is that obviously not everybody has the same views, standpoints and so on. And that's part of you know, being out of that homogenous group is that you're now allowed to have these different opinions and, and so on. Um, but it, what it means is that sometimes you get surprised and hurt a bit by this community that you thought was you and part of your in-group, but they they sometimes or individuals within that group behave in a way that you're surprised or disappointed mm -hmm. or um, and I just think that's it's important to have a balanced view of of being a member of that community no actually that community is going to be very disparate very diverse lots of different opinions um, you're not going to get on with everybody um, and that's okay that's absolutely fine so is there anything else, you know, before we say goodbye to everybody, um, is there anything else about, like, well-being and that sort of thing that we should talk about? Um, yeah, I suppose the other thing that I, I did uh, a lot of research around was, was Desi and Ryan's self-determination theory. And they identified that individuals have three intrinsic psychological needs or primary psychological needs. And these are a sense of autonomy. In other, in other words, a sense that I can make decisions about my own life. And, you know, I have the power to make choices, if you like. Mm. Feelings of competence. We've already sort of talked about that on the self-concept theory. So this is a different theory, but obviously, again, overlaps a lot. Feelings of competence. So I can do stuff, you know. I am capable. And relatedness. So that's a feeling that I am part of a family or part of a larger group, if you like, that I can identify with. And I suppose for me, that's helped me to to really understand what I need to do in order to be happier and have a sense of well-being. So this is linked to um, resilience and a, and a feeling of a sense of well-being. So I've always felt like I had quite a lot of autonomy 
as a witness, that was very much curtailed. But I think feelings of competence, you know, you do feel like you've, you're way behind in terms of what your experience is and your qualifications and so on. So I found education really useful for that. So that's why I, I did that higher education stuff because I wanted to feel that sense of competence. You know, I, I could actually understand stuff. I could know stuff. I could I could work things out and I could do stuff. So that's why career had such an important part mm. in my life. And then relatedness. I think I've te- it's taken me a long time to, to find, a, a, I suppose, a, a group of friends that I feel that I'm part of. And that's, you know, initially I had I had periods where I had friends, but it's been quite difficult. And I've got one or two people that I've stayed friends with for a long time. Um, but over the years, I've, I've gradually widened out in my group of friends. And gradually now I feel like I've got a community where I, every now and again we WhatsApp each other or we we meet, you know, in the good old days, we'd meet up for a curry or, mm. you know, we'd we'd go for a pint or whatever. And that was that was great. And that's um, that's been been really important to me also a family member that i i really love has has also left the jw's which means that i've had a relationship with him again which has been absolutely fantastic so it's it's really um i think that's another element so we we, yes we need people we need others to support us um and then the other the other two are also really important sense of autonomy feeling of competence and relatedness if we can work on making that happen Mm. I think that that's going to be really helpful. I suppose the other one is the the Viktor Frankl stuff, which is is trying to find meaning in life, which again can be quite difficult. Uh, when you leave, your meaning has been lost in in some respects, possibly. Um, so you have to find a new meaning to life, and that can take some time. Um, so that that's another area to to kind of work on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I should say. Um, Obviously, I'm not a I'm not a mental health counsellor, um, and I would say that the mistake I made in my transition was that I didn't actually get any proper mental health um, counselling mm. for a long, long time, and I've never really had any what I would consider proper counselling, which I think has been a mistake. Um, and I think most you know, people can benefit from some counselling. So. so you know, especially yeah. when you've gone through a very difficult period of time regardless of if it was the right thing to do it's still yeah. difficult um so yeah so i think i think i would um it, my only bit of advice would be to get advice you know mm. to get some help and support from a professional who can help you work through some of this stuff um because some some of the issues around uh, i'll just speak to what we know which is yeah. jehovah's witnesses is there's sometimes some really complex mental health issues that have that have brewed up in that time like um just because i think often people are like oh it wasn't that bad like people have it worse people always say like people have it worse but you can still have like you know complex trauma issues from you know you know being told to not be you constantly that can have an effect on on a person and in a profound way so never think never let your brain tell you that you're not like hurt enough or that it didn't affect you enough to deserve that because everyone deserves help i think so i mean i think these days um it's nowhere near where it needs to be in terms of uh recognition of mental health problems and 
and getting help, but it's better than it was. So I think mm-hmm. when I first left, we are again we were talking about over twenty years ago. Um, it wasn't as acceptable. It wasn't as normal, if you like, to to get some counselling to get some help like that. So I I just felt like I just had to. I could work my way through it. You know, I could think my way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I guess I have done, but it's come at quite a cost. And um, I think if I was again going through it again I would definitely um, I would definitely get some help and I wouldn't rule it out now I mean what I find difficult is to find sort of the right person I guess but um, if I could I, I think I would still find that really really useful even though I know all the theory and stuff around it I think just just talking it through is is really really useful definitely and I think yeah don't be put off by not finding necessarily the right um, therapist or counsellor straight away just because um they're just people as well at the end of the day and they don't you don't owe them anything if you if you have a session and you don't like them you can just try someone else that's okay most uh, most of the people that i've heard talk about this say that often you do have to try one or two different counselors to get somebody that you can really talk to and that that really works for you so yeah Yeah, because you're both individuals so yeah exactly Yeah. yeah um so we've talked about identity in relation to finding your identity after leaving a high control group obviously there's lots of other elements to identity so we probably talk more about other aspects of that um another time but i hope i hope that's been interesting yeah and i guess we're going to try and sort of take this angle in the way that you know as dad was listing all of the things as to what do i think about x y and z thing now that it's not decided for me we're going to try and like um tackle a few of those things um so like we kind of did that last week with the veganism thing. So it's like, well, what do you think of veganism now that you're allowed to have an opinion? Yeah, we um, obviously one thing I, I want to make clear is that this podcast is not about telling anybody what they should think about. It's a question because actually that is the wonderful thing about being able to make decisions for yourself. OK, are we done then? I think so. When people are like... Um, feel like they've heard enough from us um, while they have their vacuuming on or something in their headphones thank you for listening and give us a tweet or a um, comment somewhere rate the podcast thank you very much see you next week thanks for listening bye what should i think about is an evil sheep production